Hello and welcome to the Elevate podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris, and this is the second season of my podcast. Uh, the first podcast season was called Frank and Fearless, in line with my consultancy business. But something has changed in the last few months, and I have become an EOS implementer. EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, and you'll find out more about it in today's episode and future episodes to come, hence the name change. Um, if you listened to the trailer, you'll also know that I am sharing this podcast with one of the coaches within Frank and Fearless, Kelly Feehan, and she will be joining me on some of the podcasts where we'll interview people together. She'll be doing some of the things on her own, and also so will I. So, uh, first episode of the new season, and it felt the right thing to do to invite Somebody that has been supporting me over the last three or four months in my journey to become an EOS implementer. He's been my coach. Uh, and there's also a little bit of a backstory, which we will hopefully come on to. Uh, so I'd like to welcome to the show, Dan Williams, uh, EOS implementer from Australia. Hello, Dan. Wow. Thanks for having me. Hello. And congratulations on season two. I'm feeling, feeling the pressure of being the first episode. Well, it's no pressure. It's uh, it's actually my joy. And when I was looking at doing it, I was like, you were the first person I wanted to interview. And the reason for that is um, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. Um, so the first question I'd love to know is, what what is EOS and what does it mean to you? So EOS is an operating system that is designed to help entrepreneurial companies take control. So the, the problem isn't coming up with a plan for entrepreneurial businesses. The problem is usually executing on the plan. So it's a simple set of tools, systems, and processes that are designed to help you take control. And it's also designed for people like me with a relatively short attention span because you can get underway immediately. <laughs> and what it means to me is that, you know, I, I was a first a consumer of the operating system, you know, working with a, a professional implementer like yourself. Uh, and it's a way to help uh, entrepreneurial business owners and leaders, you know, lead a better life, a better quality of life and to, to uh, do good while doing well. And that's something that is really important. Mm. To um, me. Dan, you mentioned this aspect around operating system why do you feel that an organization needs to have a system that they're using on a consistent basis a large part of it is that if we don't have a, a system or we don't have something that keeps a regular pulse throughout um, you know our time in business and through our year and our quarter then we have to do a lot of extra thinking and can become sort of, you know, you can imagine you driving down the road with one eye on the, uh, you know, on the road in front of you, one on the rear view mirror. Having an operating system allows you just to focus on the road ahead of you. So knowing that there's a rhythm and a pulse that keeps you moving towards your goals. Um, otherwise, it's, you know, potentially can be something that is a distraction or takes you away from your focus. Um so you mentioned earlier that you were a user first. How did you come across it and what was the business that you were involved in at the time? Yeah, so um, one of my dear friends and now a dear friend of yours as well, Daniel Davis, uh, 
uh, had been coaching me uh, as a business owner in an IT business in um, headquartered in Melbourne, Australia. And we, he had a coaching practice and he, we were making a lot of inroads and um, we found that we were still not really quite getting where we wanted to go and um, we fell off the wagon a little bit with that. And then out of the blue, one day I got a call from Daniel to say that uh, he discovered this thing, EOS, <laughs> and he said, you're going to love it. I've read the book. I'm, I'm becoming qualified to deliver this. And I said, sure you know, pretty much willing to give anything a go at this stage. He did a 90-minute meeting, which you'll be well-versed in what a 90-minute meeting is. It's effectively kind of like our pitch or it's our way to help our clients know whether they should be working with us and whether we should be working with them or not through the EOS process. And he came to us and he delivered the 90-minute meeting. And so that was probably, I think, about eight years ago. And we were all in immediately and uh he i think he said we were his first client but i've since learned that he might, i think he might have said that to a few different companies <laughs> but bless him i've got to respect yep. the hustle um and we implemented it in, in that it business and you know we saw phenomenal results which is effectively long story short which we can come back to the long story if you like uh is why i decided to become an implementer because I wanted other business owners to experience mm -hmm. what I did through that so process. What, what was it for you that meant you and the, and the rest of the team were like, actually, this is, we're, we're all in? Yeah, so we had tried lots of things. We read Scaling Up and, you know, the painful but insightful book that is The E-Myth. Um, and we were really, we had, we had a really good understanding of what we didn't know. And we had a really good understanding of our shortcomings, but we didn't have enough answers to what we could do. And everything just seemed too complicated. So when EOS came, uh, you know, was presented to us by Daniel, it, it represented a simplicity and something that we had an appetite for. And so the fact that we were learning and implementing from day one was really exciting to us because the business wasn't a new business. It had been around for close to 20 years before this point and had fumbled our way and sometimes had um, incidental or accidental success. Um, and EOS represented something that could keep us all focused on moving in the same direction. And then we didn't have to study and then implement, study and implement. We were implementing from day one. Um, and you know, right from the first session, you know, we had a breakthrough in building the accountability chart, which is a tool that, you know, brings structure and clarity to roles and seats and realized that we, in a, as a leadership team, we had some people that were in the wrong seats. And, you know, we were, I had a big smile on my face walking out of the first session and I knew this was it. I was no longer the integrator or the general manager. I, I was allowed to fly my freak flag, as Gino says, and own that visionary function. So I was convinced. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and that clarity, you know, then, you know, sort of incidentally flowed through the rest of the team and then through the rest of the business, you know, with a real deliberate approach. Was there a point in time when you kind of sat back either within a meeting or outside of a meeting and were like, oh, shit, you know, uh, we've got a lot of work that we need to do and there's you know things that need to happen can you can you remember that point in time i, I can and you know it's really really front of mind as as today i worked with a um, tech company uh, in melbourne in delivering their vision building day one 
and it took me back to the vision building day one, which is the second session in the mm-hmm. process where we start to to craft something that we can take back to the team. And when we were talking about our 10-year target or our, as Jim Collins would say, our BHAG, and we were about 150 million in difference of what the BHAG should be between myself and one of the other leadership team members. And I thought, wow, that's a big gap mm-hmm. to close. And if that's an indication of how misaligned our leadership team is on what is our biggest goal, then we've got some real heavy lifting to do. Um, but in itself represented an opportunity to, to bring us together. What, what was the hardest thing for you going through, going through the process? I think the hardest part was actually the realisation that we had some people who were the right people. They shared our mm-hmm. core values but they were in the wrong seats and perhaps the business had outgrown them or the seat, the role had outgrown them. And these are people that I'm talking about that I love, you know, the core value alignment is really strong, but having to help them make that realization that the time had come for them to either to move into a different role, to move out of leadership or to move out of the company because they, they didn't uh, have what it would take to get us to where we wanted to go. And that was really difficult, really formative as a leader, but really difficult. But EOS helped us to have those conversations that we wouldn't have otherwise. We would have just existed and told ourselves that everything would be okay. So I was going to ask you on that because my observation, as I'm sure is similar to yours of working with organizations over the years, is that having those difficult conversations where we know that we've got the right either the right people in the wrong seats or the wrong people in the in the right seats is that we there's almost this convincing ourselves that things are just going to going to change and we don't want to take ownership and responsibility why do you think why do you think especially within smaller businesses why do you think that happens yeah, I think in a smaller business, it's a fear of the the ripple effect or it's a, the fear of what how the rest of the team or the clients will respond if we make those um, calls, especially when it's a, someone that you know shares your values and everyone knows that and if the values are ingrained in the organization. It can feel like you're removing a piece of the organization or you're moving a piece and it can sometimes it can feel... Like it's going to be such a heavy burden to have that conversation. But the interesting thing that I've discovered working with, you know, I've worked with close to 50 different uh, businesses as their EOS implementer is that on the other side of that difficult conversation is usually something that you don't expect. It's actually quite beautiful sometimes when those people are relieved because then on the other side of the coin, they're staying they're uh, keeping up appearances because they don't want to let you down. They don't want to have that. They don't want to feel like they're betraying their family or their, you know. And so when you have that conversation, there can be a real sort of feeling of relief. And, you know, uh, Simon Sinek, I saw him years ago at an event in Melbourne and he said something that I'll never forget. He had a and a It went for almost as long as the actual presentation And he was asked a question about navigating that conversation. And he said, here's what I would do. I would say, everyone deserves to be happy. And I love you and I want you to be happy. And perhaps it's time for you to find somewhere else where you can be happy. And I've used that 
and I've coached teams mm-hmm. to use that. And, you know, and it gen- generally, I'll say there are some outliers, but generally it has a positive outcome. Yeah, it's interesting. Just before I got on this call, I was speaking to a coaching client in uh, in the UK um, and helping him go through a process of letting somebody go, literally, probably as we're recording this now, actually. And I was, I, I was okay, sharing well. with him and saying, um, if you prevent somebody from leaving the organization you're preventing them from achieving what it is that they want to do and we think that we're doing them a favor uh but but actually uh we're holding them back for actually doing what they uh they love um and it, it, it always always fascinates me that uh when we do have the courage or we let go of our own ego or we uh, face into the fear that when we do actually have those conversations, like you say, it can actually be a really real joyous relationship. Um, and actually the, that, yeah. that, that bond gets better um, because actually yeah. having somebody leave for a positive reason is really, really beneficial for all parties. It is, you know, and it's interesting that you say the word ego and that's a really important thing to check because that will help hopefully and helpfully bring you to the question, am I doing it for me or am I doing yeah. it for them? And if you're doing it for you, then that's your ego getting in the way. And we talk about ceilings as, you know, EOS implementers, we talk about businesses hitting ceilings Well, you can quickly become the ceiling on that person's career. So let's pick up on that. So hitting the ceiling for one's own ability within an within an organisation, um, where and what have you seen when when actually the leader is actually the issue? I've seen it quite a lot. You know, I work with uh, a lot of companies that are sort of somewhere between two and twenty five million dollars in turnover, Australian dollary dues. <laughs> yeah, and you know that means that quite often the founder is still involved. Uh, in those businesses, I'd say 99% mm-hmm. of the time. And and I've, ha- I've had to help several founders and leadership teams almost counsel them through the fact that the founder is now, has become the ceiling for that business. You know, I, I mentioned the e-myth before, you know, that's, I don't want to insult any of your listeners' intelligence, <laughs> but, you know, m- that there's a myth, you know, that Everyone who starts a business is an entrepreneur and, you know, sometimes it can take these founders, you know, or business owners a long time to realize that they're actually not an entrepreneur or the entrepreneurial fire has gone out and it can really, really be a harmful thing for them to, you know, to show up and to feel like an imposter. Uh, and then to have a leadership team who respect them and want to make them feel like they're still valued and that becomes, you know, valued in the business and that becomes the ceiling. And it's not always um, it's not always an ability thing. Sometimes it's a drive and an ambition and a, and a thirst that is the ceiling. And when if they're prepared to do the work, it's almost it's another set of difficult conversations. <laughs> If they're willing to do the work, on the other side of that is actually a genuine reward for the work that they mm-hmm. put in to get to that point. And, you know, that can be really tough. And I've also, like, if I can perhaps be a little vulnerable Please. with you here, is that I honestly, in my in the business that I was an owner in, um, I left that business 
because I felt like I had hit a ceiling. And I, first of all, stepped out of the role as CEO after some personal turmoil, some uh, family uh, challenges that we navigated through. But I took some time out to deal with those challenges. And in that time out, I reflected and thought, you know what? I don't think I'm the one who can lead us to that BHAG, which was significant. It was, uh, you know, it was, you know, 100% growth on where we were at that point in time. And I thought, you know, I don't think I'm that person. And I looked around the business and I could see that there was someone who, who was a better administrator mm-hmm. than me, more disciplined than me, and could do that. And, you know, that was a really um, humbling experience, but it's it's been a positive one um, too. I massively appreciate you sharing that that vulnerability because I think for me in the work that I've been doing with chief execs over the last 15 years is that um, for a lot, and I'm not saying all, but for a lot, um, their role and their position and their organization and company has been consciously or subconsciously what has defined them. And actually it's... Yeah. If I don't do this, then what else will I will I do with my time? I'm not sure of the stats um, in kind of Australia, New Zealand, but I know from working in the UK that the suicide rate from people that sell businesses is alarmingly high. They've they've built an entity, they've exited, and after a period of time, it's like I have nothing else to do. Um, I'd love for yeah. you to share. The concept around kind of EOS life, not necessarily from an EOS perspective, but um, why it's important to to get to doing the things that you kind of love doing and, and maybe some examples that you've got uh, that you'd be prepared to share. Yeah. yeah, well, I can pick up sort of on that thread from a, re- a really close to home, as in myself. You know, I, I realized it was a technology business, an IT services business. And I came to the realization that I actually didn't love the technology. I didn't love, I was no longer, um, you know, getting the thrill of a new product or a new service or a new capability. I was actually, I love business. I loved being in business and I loved developing people and developing leaders and seeing them go on to become their own leader and to, to discover their own, you know, capabilities and to give them that belief. And that, I realized that's what I loved. You know, we talk about the concept of doing what you love with people you love. You know, that's what I realized that I, 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 what I loved was helping businesses to grow and take control. And I I loved helping leaders to unlock that potential that they had within them and to help them make that realization that all they needed was a little belief (laughs) and self-belief and to, to surround themselves with the right people and they could almost achieve anything. And I'd done that largely within my own business. And so not long after I exited, I sold because I realized that I was no long, I was no good at being a board member. <laughs> I was no, long, no good at being a non-executive. And, and what I discovered was EOS was my passion and giving that structure and that clarity to other business owners and leadership teams was how I was able to do what I love with people that I love. And, you know, the, we have, the, it's a privilege, you know, I nearly swore. Feel, that it's, feel, it is an feel free to swear. This is, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, it's a, well, I won't, but I'll say it's an effing privilege, you know, to do yeah. what we do, like to be an EOS implementer 
in its rawest form is an absolute privilege. And I encourage any and every EOS implementer or every coach for that matter that might listen to this, if you lose sight of that, then it's time to find something else because that privilege is real and we need to take responsibility for that. And, you know, I've helped other um, leaders even achieve that within their business and realize like they're the CEO, they're perhaps the visionary um, in the business. And then I had a breakthrough recently in annual planning with a leader where they we talk about when we do the three-year picture, you know, what does it mm-hmm. look like? And one of the last little bonus questions we say, what is your role going to be in this three-year picture? And there was an awkward silence when we got to this founder and they said, I just want to create stuff. I just want to be like a solution architect. And everyone's like, you don't want to be the CEO? He's like, no, mm-hmm. I don't. This is all I've done my whole life. He started the business when he was 16. This is all I've done. I don't want to do it anymore. And three years seems like a yep. good time. <laughs> so, and that was beautiful. That was, I would have done it for free. would have done the whole mm-hmm. thing for free because I loved that to be the present for that then and there is, you know, is a large part of why I do so what I do. So, I was going to ask you, for those that are listening that may or may not know anything about EOS, which is perfectly fine, um, but they've lost that passion. They've lost the kind of the fire in their belly. What's the the one, two or three things that you'd recommend that they either do or ask themselves or watch, um, how, how can somebody find that reignition or find the new fire? So it's really hard to do that when you're in it. It's really hard when you're immersed mm-hmm. in the business. It's really hard for you to get a, um, a clear view of what you should be doing or what you should be doing next. So the first piece of advice that I, that I give people that that, have, that come to me with that question or that sense or feeling that they're stuck or that they're not sure whether this is what they want is to give yourself some space. So if you can't afford to step out of the business for, you know, an extended period, um, that's okay. But if you can get away for a week, a month, that'd be great. <laughs> But give yourself some distance. <clears throat> Be prepared to step back a little bit so that you can look back in on yourself with some clarity. And we have we have some tools that we use as a part of EOS, and there's one of them that is called Delegate and Elevate. And so I, I won't really have time to teach it here, but effectively it helps you to, to compartmentalize what you do uh, into four quadrants, the things that you love and you are great at, the things that you like and that you are good at, the things that you don't like but you're good at, the things that you don't like and you're not good at. And so, for the purpose of this, I would say if, if there aren't many things in the top left, the things that you love and you're great at that represent value in the business, it's, it's a telltale sign that it might be time to make a move. Um, so, that's probably two things that I would do. And, you know, don't be, don't, you don't need to feel like you're the first person to ever go through this. Is it probably the mm. third piece? There, there will be hundreds of people around you that you have proximity to that will have had these thoughts or have been through this before. Have conversations. You know, problem shared is a problem halved. And if you're prepared to be vulnerable, you'll invite vulnerability and you'll be amazed, amazed at what, what lived experience people will be prepared to give you. Um, so there'll be people that will be listening to this and going, yeah, I, I hear you, Dan, and there's some really good points in there. Um but who do I go to to have that 
vulnerable conversation and, and share with because I'm the leader of the business and I can't speak to those that I work with because I don't want to show vulnerability and weakness. I don't want to go to my board because I don't want to show vulnerability or weakness. So where and who should they be kind of reaching out to? Yeah, so it's interesting that you listed all those those people that you wouldn't talk to <laughs> because generally my advice is to to be prepared to to get vulnerable with those mm-hmm. people and similar to the difficult conversation with someone that you that you might be the ceiling on um, you know like we spoke about earlier if you prepare to get vulnerable enough to those people to say look I, I need to take some time out because I I just need some I need to gain some clarity um, you, you'd be amazed you you open you open a door for others to give you their some mm-hmm. observation but there's something that might seem a little bizarre that I that I have done personally as well so first of all I, f- I feel like you should have those conversations with your with your leadership team especially and then uh, ideally your board if you have a board but also peers so this this is something that I kind of uh, have you know when I reflect on my career I was very open with mm-hmm. my peers very open with industry peers and I wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone and call the CEO of seemingly my largest competitor and say, so do you ever think about this? <laughs> do you ever wonder what's next yep. for you? And you'd be amazed. Um, but outside of that, there are coaches. There are some amazing people like yourself who have had lots of conversations with lots of people in the same sort of mindset mm-hmm. or position that can give you a window into that those other worlds out there and it may not provide you the answer but it'll provide you some comfort in knowing that that there are people out there and you know i mentioned daniel davis earlier Uh, he was my coach personally and a personal friend before becoming my eos implementer as well Um, he's the type of person in my world where i wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone Mm. and call we had that coach um, mentor mentee relationship, um, and I think that that people probably underestimate the readiness of people around them to have those conversations. Yeah, a um, a friend of mine who actually uh, I interviewed on the on the first series, a guy called Andy Laparta, uh, based in the UK, wrote a book called Just Ask, and actually showing that vulnerability, putting yourself out out there, and just challenging yourself to ask the question is that you soon realize that there's other people going through exactly the same shit that, you know, and and when I was running my um, mastermind groups, I always used to say to people say, look, there's no issue, problem or opportunity that you have got that somebody else in the group has either a been through B going through or C will go through at some point in the future. Um, You know, I I think we, Uh, being a leader often is quite a siloed place or we put ourselves in that silo uh, position and actually when we kind of uh, are prepared to widen our peripheral vision is that actually we realize that people that have been before us have made the same mistakes that we've had (laughs) so why would we not learn from them you know we uh we train our people to you know go through the manual or learn from the manager or or whatever um yet as leaders we um we put ourselves in boxes 
Yeah. You know what? And you just reminded, yeah, absolutely spot on. And <clears throat> like you, you open the door for other people to have those conversations as well. And you could just become mm-hmm. that person for someone else that to call. And, you know, there's, there's something that a long uh, held belief of mine that we talk about different three legs of the stool in EOS, but the three legs of the stool that I think in, in growing and a sustainable business is to have a plan is to have a coach and to have a peer group. If you have those three things, you, you dramatically shorten the odds of success. And the peer group is probably the one that a lot of people, a lot of people are considered mm-hmm. a coach, <laughs> work with people yeah. like you and I, um, but haven't sought a peer group. And if you have all three of those, you, it links back, they all link to one another and you know, it creates a beautiful oh, ecosystem. Um- I've been running mastermind groups for uh, 12 years um, and the joy that I have taken from being sat almost on the edge of the, of the mastermind group. And I kind of worked on this premise that the less I say, the more effective the meeting was because the, the individuals around the table have taken the ownership and the responsibility and they're the ones that are challenging their peers. Um, We, um, we uh, in my groups, we always had the, uh, the bullshit button. So, um, which just worked because uh, everybody was able to just call somebody out and go, "That's a self-limiting belief," or "Who are you kidding?" Um, and when 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 leaders put themselves in that situation where they are prepared to be raw uh, and vulnerable, but actually, there's a key thing about supporting others. Um, it's truly, truly uh, magical. Um, oh, uh, I've got tingles just uh, just thinking about it. <laughs> Um, I want to. I want to yeah. go back because I'd love for you to just share about your IT journey. So um, we both come from an IT background, and we've not worked out yet where we were actually in the same room at some point on a global scale. But at some point, it will. It, <laughs> it's it, happened. It definitely yeah. <laughs> has happened. Uh, and I reckon when yeah. we meet face to face in person, I, it may well be the case that I kind of remember. Remember. Um, just give us a brief background uh, to your uh, IT history and, and what the observations are that you've had with regards to technology uh, over the years. Yeah, so I um, was a bit of a rat bag at school and uh, leaving school wasn't even remotely interested in going to university and uh, I just wanted to get to work. So... While I was still at school, they used to have a program that was like a pathway to a career in IT. So, I was like an apprentice in IT straight out of school, in fact, before I'd finished school. And uh, I sort of worked several jobs in IT, you know, right from early days and found myself working in an IT service provider um, at a pretty young age, about 21 and uh, loved the variety that you got from being in a service provider rather than in an IT department. And uh, that freedom uh, allowed me to interact with lots of businesses as well. Just get insights. You know, the, as the IT guy, you just had this, um, you had a almost like a line to the top in every business. They needed you. So, you could talk to these business owners and CEOs and businesses from a small retail shop to a you know billion dollar sort of business, and and I loved it. And not long after I was there, I started having conversations with. with I wasn't the founder of that business, 
I had conversations with, with that founder about how I could become an owner in the business because I loved it and I could see myself being there forever. And so those conversations went, that was really difficult as a 21, well, 22 so I was year just, old. I was just thinking that, you know, that's that's some gumption for a 21 year old to kind of be quite forthright and outcoming. What, what was going through your head at, at that point? Yeah. So I was always a really um, enterprising, entrepreneurial kid. You know, I I had there's lots of stories I could tell you about. You know, I used to um, I was a paper boy early, but then I used to actually um, catch um, yabbies. It's like a little crustacean in the local creek and sell them to that's, fishermen. That's so Australian really catching yabbies in the creek. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I was in the inner suburbs, so I don't know that you could actually find them living in the creeks these days. Um, and you know, uh, when I what I quickly realised that when I stepped out of the IT department into a service provider business was that I I was gain my knowledge of business was growing at a, like a rate of knots. And so often I would talk to people, and they assumed that it was my okay. business. Because how passionately I spoke about the business and how invested I was in their success. And then I thought, you know what? Let's put that on the table. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had, I, I don't know, maybe it was just um, naivety. Mm-hmm. I had that conversation and eventually it happened. I was given share in the business, first of all, profit share and then ownership. And over time, I bought into the business. And we did mergers and acquisitions. And when we did those, I increased my share in the business. And, you know, that over that time, the industry changed a lot. It went from being a, what they used to call a system integrator, <laughs> where you would literally install equipment to being a service provider, to being a consultant. And that was kind of my sweet spot where I think I hit my stride when we were actually seen as consultants, technology consultants. And then that brought me closer and closer to the business. And then I I gradually started stepping out of technical. I was very technical, hands-on, to, you know, building client relationships, to selling, to then, you know, like a general manager, to, you know, stepping out of the general manager role because I wasn't really very good at it, (laughs) to, you know, evolving over time to becoming a pretty good administrator. And the business went from you know, sub million to, you know, in excess of 20 million in my time there. And I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I endured a lot of industry change margins that went from 150% margin to like 15% yeah. margin. Um, and I, what I learned through that time was that you needed to be really savvy, uh, not only as a an IT professional, but in business to be a respectable partner to mm-hmm. their business became a thing. And I love that. You know, that whole concept of a trusted advisor has lots of layers of cheese on it now. But I love that. That for me, that was a really exciting time when your IT person became genuinely a trusted provider. Um, as you as you look back now, um, to that probably that point when you're about when you were twenty one, knowing what you know now, what would you advise your twenty one year old to do anything differently? You know, I could almost guarantee that I wouldn't listen to okay. myself. But if, I, but if I could get my own attention for a little bit, I would, I would give myself the I – would, I would say don't obsess so much over being the subject matter expert in whatever the technology is. Focus more on the impact that it makes on the people and the business. I think if I could could have got ahead of that, upstream of that, 
it would have changed things for me because I was a was never a, a proper hardcore geek, but I was an imposter. Like I used to think that it was really important to get my propeller spinning and to to know everything, the ins and outs of the latest version of SQL. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas, yeah, exactly. Whereas if I had have been awake to the, what people were looking for was to understand how it would help their and benefit their business, probably would have saved myself a good eight to 10 years, I think. Um, but you know what? I also believe that everything happens exactly how, as it was intended. Um, so I know that I wouldn't have listened. Yeah. Well, so I was going to ask you. So you you said that at twenty one you wouldn't have listened to an older version of yourself. What what's the point in time then that um, you actually became more open to kind of ideas and suggestions and maybe mentorship or, or coaching? Can you remember when that yeah. that was? And was there anything specific that kind of happened that allowed you to kind of have that opening? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of streams in my life. Uh, it was probably, um, probably around not that long after, probably my mid twenties. So probably four formative years there. Before that, um, my sister was um, studying a double degree at Melbourne Uni, so she did two degrees. So I didn't have to do one, <laughs> um, and uh, I would. She was working at one of the big four in in Melbourne at KPMG. And the things that she would talk about, like I learned about this concept of insolvency. Unfortunately, that's part of, that's where she landed at the start of her career. I was in insolvency, which is a really grueling thing to experience. And I was, I would hear about this and then I would then pick up bits and pieces. And then I would have conversations with business owners as an IT, you know, as the IT guy. And when they, they started to engage with me on business related topics i realized i had a unique opportunity to learn from mm-hmm. these people and there was one guy in particular he was the i think the general manager of of Austra- one of australia's biggest bus companies he really took me under his wing and he gave me access and, uh, to him whenever i needed whenever i had a question he was there and you know i probably I probably only realized that in the last few years how formative mm. that was he, he's this guy who worked, you know, in an airline, worked in a big public transport business, and he was willing to talk to a twenty-something about life and business. And to this day, I know that if I called him, if I picked up my phone and called him straight after this podcast, that he would answer. And that's really so, rewarding. Um, again, I think that's for me. That's a real sign of leadership when you take somebody under your wing that you don't necessarily. They don't know what's going on or they've got no idea. Um, have you ever had that yeah. conversation with him as to uh, why he why he did that with you? Yeah. Well, kind of. When he when he retired, I I had left mm-hmm. the business and he and I kept the same mobile number and he he called me and said, you know, that he was retiring. And I said, Wow. And so we spent probably a good hour on the phone reflecting. And I just said to him, I don't think I've ever thanked you for the impact that you've had on, on me and on my career. And he just said, oh, you know, he goes, I enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> I loved it. You know, I loved being able to influence and to to give you that. And I'm like, wow, I wish I had thanked you earlier. <laughs> um, but it's really beautiful. I'm, I'm actually feeling a bit emotional mm-hmm. now, like recounting this. And he... 
and he didn't have to, and I, you know, and and he did, and I think now he he gave me an insight into what I could do as well with other people, and I think that you're right. That's the one people who don't realise that you're helping them. <laughs> Um, that actually probably benefit the most um, from that because it doesn't feel like an exchange or a transaction. It's just yeah. natural. And I think when it's natural, you both benefit mm. too. Yeah, there's, there's something something so joyful in that about just being present and just giving them actually of your just time and your knowledge and your, and your wisdom. Um, yeah. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be uh, age-specific. Um, yeah, there's, I can think of three people in my life that have done something similar that have just held, held the space. I had no idea at the time because you, life is going on. And then at some point in the future, you kind of stop and reflect and go, wow, actually that person did a lot for me. And it, and sometimes it's just one question that they ask that it just absolutely hits you at that exact moment in time. Um, uh, Dan, we're, we're yeah. coming to the end, so just I suppose a, a little bit of a quick fire round. It would be amiss of me for somebody that's in technology to ask you, what is your favourite piece of tech ever, and why? <laughs> um, I think my well, this is going to probably sound a little predictable, but and it's probably more an ecosystem than a tech. Um, my, my favorite piece of tech is really the Google ecosystem and the connectedness, the fact that I shouldn't say that, that G word too loud. There are so many of those devices in this house <laughs> that they'll all start listening. Um, but I love the fact that I can go from my car uh, to I can search something on my phone, my Android device, and then go and plug my phone in or connect via Bluetooth in my car and just hit let's go there. Uh, I love it. It allows me just to focus on, you know, where I'm headed and what I'm doing rather than having to think and doing all those little bits and pieces and it's all mm-hmm. connected and everything from you know, the TVs to the speakers to the fridge. It's all part of that, that Google ecosystem. Um, I love it. Have you seen the film Jexy? Oh, okay. no. Yeah. You need to I watch Jexy. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil okay. it for you. Writing it down. Um, uh, okay. So, last couple of questions. Um, what's your favourite leadership? You're not allowed to give any of the US books, by the way. I'm just going to give you a preamble. Sure. Um, yeah. What's yeah. your favourite one or two kind of leadership books or TED talks that uh, you really think are kind of go to things that you kind of need to read or watch? Yeah, I think if I start with the TED talk. Um, Pretty much any TED talk that Brene Brown has ever mm-hmm. recorded. If I was starting out in leadership, well, any leader that's starting out in their first leadership role, I, I encourage them to learn about vulnerability and the importance of that. So Brene Brown, to me, uh, has a great TED talk on the, the topic. Uh, from a leadership perspective, there's a there's a couple. Um, the kind of loosely linked to the EOS stable. Uh, so the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive is a really good one. You know, that's, um, you know, that's about the power of focus and it uses that peer concept mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and 
you know, that almost anything by Lencioni. I'm a fanboy. I'm I'm confessed yep. fanboy. <laughs> Lencioni's, uh, I've seen him speak a few times live and, you know, he writes, um, he, or he writes books for people like me. They're mm-hmm. fables, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'd say probably one from a, for a good, I guess, a, um, probably less predictable, uh, book is, uh, is a book called Inner Engineering by Sadhguru. Um, it's, I have a copy of it here, uh, it, it's the book that has taught me the most about myself okay. and you don't have to be, you don't have to follow him as your guru, um, but it just taught me um, about my own journey and, my, and it's, it starts by looking mm-hmm. inward and understanding yourself. And I think the more you understand yourself and the greater clarity you have, the greater your ability to impact others and uh, that has kind of underpinned a lot of my a lot of my own journey. Um, last question: What's your favourite question and why? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you my favourite question. <laughs> God, you can ask it now. <laughs> All right, we, we can ask it, and if you need me to re-ask it later, then I can do that. <laughs> my favourite question to ask is that: is if there was a book published about you today and about your life today what would the title be okay while i think on that um why is that your favorite question because it's really hard to answer (laughs) straight up but it it gives me it it gives me a uh, window into how people see Mm -hmm. themselves and uh, there's a quote, famous quote by Muhammad Ali, which I'm going to butcher, so I apologize yep. in advance. But a, and I'll modernize it. So a person who sees the world the same at 50 that they did at 21 has wa- has wasted 29 years yep. of their life. So the the key part to the book title question is today. Like today, what would it be? Because if you wrote a series of books, it'd probably change mm-hmm. over time. Okay, yeah. so um, <clears throat> the answer for my answer to that question would be: uh, years ago, uh, one of my keynote talks that I used to do was uh, called "Trolley Boy to CEO," and I think that was a reflection of uh, part of my journey. Um, I think if there was if the book now would be chameleon snake owl okay wow and the reason for that i'm gonna write that down that's easily the most intriguing (laughs) answer i've had um and the the reason why i would say that is um i think in my formative years my ability to be able to adapt and change uh to the uh, um to the surroundings around me to fit in to be accepted to hustle and to do was uh, really key. Um, I think the snake represents the the shedding of skin. So it feels for me that I kind of have um, chunks of my life for periods of between four to seven years where I've done something for a period of time. Um, I've reached not necessarily the top of the game, but I've got to a high enough stage where I'm like, okay, I'm bored now. I want more growth. 
So there's the kind of the shedding of the skin. Um, and I feel that I'm now going into the stage of being the owl, which is uh, an aspect of um, wisdom, um, being uh, present and kind of sitting and perching and actually uh, being present and not saying a lot. But actually, when I do say something, there's a level of intention behind it. Wow. That was pretty deep. I'm quite impressed wow. with myself. That was, a, you know, without without any notice. That was that was a phenomenal answer. Wow. Maybe that should be the title of my next book. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, thank it. you. For, thank I you for it. challenging me. Uh, un- massively unexpectedly. Um, we, uh, yeah. Dan, we've come to the end. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for thank you. sharing your your wisdom. Um, your insights uh, massively re- appreciate and respect your vulnerability. I wouldn't expect anything, anything less, but I think for me, there's, there's lessons that we can learn um, for those people that are listening that actually, when you take that small step, I often talk about the aspect of if it feels uncomfortable, you're stepping into exactly the right space. So those that, you know, for those of you that are listening, what's the one thing that you can do today to feel a little bit uncomfortable that is going to allow you to uh, have that vulnerability and grow for yourself, but also the people that you lead, not just within your business, within your life. Um, This has been the Elevate podcast. If you have liked the podcast, my request is please just forward it to one person that you know. Uh, that you think that actually this conversation will be of real benefit to them. Um, This is a weekly podcast. If you want to listen to the first series, please do so. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Elevate. Bye for now.